hosting the presence of God. Well, let me back up. There's some, I call them revivals, going on at Asbury, Lee Seminary, Sanford University, Texas A&M, which is a secular college. It's breaking out among the youth. There's been lots of prophecies. If you've been around here, you've heard us talk about it. Lots of prophecies of this. I don't know how long it'll go, but this Asbury revival's gone longer than the one 50 years ago. That was 1970, 71, somewhere around in there. That one was for five days. This one's longer than five days, and it's just happening different places. Um, the words aren't really that important, but there's a guy named Ken Fish who is is one of the older leaders of the Vineyard Movement for the last 30, 40 years, still one of the leaders of the Vineyard Denomination Movement. He, he described it this way, and I think it's probably more accurate. He says there's really three moves of God. One's renewal, one's revival, and then one's reformation. Renewal is where he first starts with Christians, and I think that's what's happening. There are some people getting saved at the revivals that I just mentioned. But most of them is lukewarm hearts turned fire hot. Cold hearts turned fire hot. It's a time of repentance among Christians. And if that continues, it'll move into revival, which is our typical definition of, of getting unbelievers saved. And then Reformation is where it gets so big. It's only happened twice in our country in the last 250 years. Reformation is so big where the institutions and the... Um, structures of society are actually reformed. In the First Great Awakening in the mid-1700s, the Second Great Awakening right before the Civil War, it got to the place so many people were saved, bars were being closed, jails were were not needed, etc., etc., and that was a reform across the country, uh, you know, that where the revival was. And it moved from just the individual's to societal structures. And we need that bad in our country. And I pray, and I think it will come and sooner than later, where it moves from renewal to revival to a reformation. Now, everybody's clamoring for the presence of God. At Asbury, they had to move it out of that little chapel to someplace else because they had 25,000 people over the weekend from other countries and cities drive in, and they just literally could not handle the traffic, and that's a good thing, and they're all trying to get in the presence of God. And that's what I feel led to shift into this morning and talk about. And the presence of God was here today. I pray it grows stronger and stronger, and that His glory, His glory is His inner beauty. It's His spirit of beauty. His glory is just what manifests from Him when He walks into the room. In a small way, if you see somebody, they walk in and they have a smile on their face, and it's... um, uh, you know, it lights up their face, it lights up the room, that's their glory. It's a small thing, but that's, you know, it's, it's, they're exhibiting some inward thing. And his glory is his character and, and who he is and all his attributes. And I just pray that his glory comes more and more. And not just his glory, but we see him face to face. Now, as I was sitting over here, this is how the Lord just sort of keyed me into this. And so we, we have his presence here, not near as much as I want. And there's just this fine line. Paul said, I'm contented in all things, but I want more of him. Well, how can you be, want more of him but be contented in all things? 
And there's just this almost schizoid, dualistic nature in us. We're to be content with where we have. I mean, the presence of God that we have the opportunity to walk in, and we see here regularly, the prophets dreamed of in the Old Testament. Just think about that. Except for certain times, the Holy Spirit didn't come on them. He came on them for assignments, and then He left. We carry Him with us everywhere we go. And so much of the stuff that we walk in was just a dream, and we're, we're living the dream. And so I'm very contented with that. But at the same time, when, when, when you're in the Lord's presence, you get hungry for more. And when your body's hungry, and you go out to Western Sizzling and go get the buffet, and you pig out, your hunger is satiated. But when you are hungry for the Lord's presence... And you go into His presence, and you just want more. It's the exact opposite. Yes, you're satiated. You're glad that, that, that He has come, but you just want more. So much of Christianity will look at me and you and go, you're weird. Why do you keep talking about come Lord Jesus? Why do you keep saying I want more of Jesus? The reason is, is they're not hungry. And they've never tasted, they've tasted the salvation, but they've not tasted of much else. Because if you've tasted of much else, you will go, I need more and I want more. It creates this feedback loop of wanting more. And... As I was sitting over here, I just heard the Lord speak clearly, and so that's why I'm shifting gears this morning. He said, my presence is costly. And so we've paid some cost here to have His presence. And I want more. And it's going to cost me more. It's not a performance thing. But as you move towards Him and go towards Him, you are going to be changed into Him. And we're all crying out for revival and renewal, and we should be. But it's crying out for we will have to be changed as we move towards Him. And so as we see the revival come in, as we see the renewal come in, realize there's got to be a change to perpetuate this thing and to be in His presence. Uh, the Ten Virgins. It's a passage that many of you are familiar with. Matthew 25, verse 1. Um, when the end comes, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids. They took the oil lamps and went to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish bridesmaids took their lamps, but they didn't take any extra oil. The wise bridesmaids, however, took along extra oil for their lamps. Since the groom was late, all the bridesmaids became drowsy and fell asleep. What is that talking about? Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet. We've gotten drowsy, lazy, complacent, apathetic. At midnight, someone shouted, the groom is here. Midnight, you're not expecting it. You're usually asleep. Come to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids woke up and got their lamps ready. I love what it says in verse 7. Then all those virgins arose in the King James Version. In the NIV, it says they got their lamps ready. But in the King James, it says, and trimmed their lamps. Have you ever seen anybody do an old-fashioned trimming of an oil lamp? It's sort of a pain. 
It's hard. It takes focus. I don't know if I could do it. I've seen them do it, but I've never done it. They do what it takes to keep the fire in the presence of God, the fire in that lamp, you know, the wick that gives the, the energy burning at maximum capacity. And so us as Christians, whenever the renewal comes here, whenever the revival comes here in greater things, whenever the reformation comes here in greater things, um, realize right now, today, He's asking us to trim our lamps to get ready. There are sovereign moves of God. And that's, I think, what's happened at Asbury, where He just comes in and just shows up. But for that thing to keep going, they're going to have to trim their lamps. What does that mean? It can be understood on several levels. Turn over to Revelation 19, verse 7. It says, let us rejoice, be happy, and give Him glory, because it's time for the marriage of the Lamb. His bride has made herself ready by trimming her lamp. She has been given the privilege of wearing dazzling, pure linen. This fine linen represents the things that God's holy people do that have His approval. So how do we trim our lamps? We're constantly in His presence. And we say, Lord, what do you want to see in me? What do you want to see around me? What do you want to see on me? And it's staying close enough. And that's how we become pure. The holiness movement, which was started with John Wesley and the Methodist movement, which produced the Pentecostal movement in 1900s, late 1800s, 1900s, came out of the Methodist church. What a shame that the Methodist movement is doing what it's doing now. They're splitting over the thing all these other denominations split over. It's a shame. You know why? Because after John Wesley, there was another apostle that came on the scene. His name was Asbury. That's where Asbury Seminary came from. He was starting churches, many churches a week through the circuit riding. He, he was an apostle. He inherited John Wesley's mantle. And they named the seminary after him. But after him, there was no apostolic prophetic leadership. And it moved towards pleasing people and maintaining an, an organization. See, an apostolic prophetic church is constantly changing. If you don't want change, go to a church without an apostolic prophetic leader. Why? Because their mandate is Matthew 6. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they spend enough time listening to the Lord to say, okay, the Lord says this is the blueprint in heaven. I want you to reproduce it in earth. And until it's fully reproduced, which won't happen in my lifetime... Probably, it definitely, probably won't happen until, I, I think it won't happen until Jesus Christ comes back and finishes the job. We're to be constantly improving and bringing more of heaven into earth. That's why apostolic prophetic churches in this country, from studies I've done, are typically 50 people or less. 
because they don't want to change. Because churches are people and people are churches. But what he's doing, he's not trying to just give us a hard time. What he's doing is come up here where I'm at. You want more of me? Come. Come up. Get more of me. Become more like me. But when you're there, you have to change. But it's worth it. And it's costly though sometimes. Turn over to, um, so I love this passage in Revelation 19. It's two, two chapters before the end of the book. It's at the end of Revelation and there's so much weird, twisted, pulled teaching on Revelation. You know, you go, I don't want to talk about Revelation. It's the War of Babylon and the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. And it is there. But you realize it is a, all the way through it, it's talking about the, the, the purity and the exposing and the bringing forth in, in persecution a bride that is wearing dazzling pure linen. We're in it now. We're not in the capital end times, but we're in the end times. The last days, not the last day. The last day is when Jesus shows up. I don't know if I'll be around for that in my lifetime or not, but it'd be cool. If not, I'll have an aerial view. I think I'd rather be on earth, but it'd be cool. Turn over to Ephesians 2.12. I'm sorry, Esther 2.12. Esther was a country girl that got an invitation to be in a beauty pageant, using modern terms, to become the wife of the king. It was actually a pretty perverted process, but we're going to take the spiritual metaphors on this one. It is a symbol of the bride, which is you and I. If you uh, Sometimes I use Christian words and don't define it. When we say the bride, it's talking about those that are saved. There's a lot of metaphors he calls us. He calls us the body of Jesus. He's the head. He calls us soldiers. He calls us farmers. There's a lot of metaphors. It's not that I'm a soldier, not that I'm a farmer, and not that I'm wearing a white dress. The metaphor is this. This is things I'm teaching you, and these illustrations are like visual aids. You remember when you were in, you know, maybe, probably not in this day and age, but if you're my age, you were in Sunday school. They used to use flannel things up on a flannel board. I know we're much more high tech now. That's sort of like what these metaphors are. Ephesians, so, there's lessons here. On one level, it's about a young country girl that gets to be the queen of uh, the kingdom. On another level, it's about us country people getting to be the queen or the bride to King Jesus. Esther 2.12, Each young woman had her turn to go to King Xerxes after she had completed, after she had completed the required 12-month treatment for women. The time of beauty treatment was spent as follows, six months using oil of myrrh and six months using perfumes and other treatments for women. Now, this is the so she had to wait 12 months, go through this whole process, make sure they didn't have any STDs, they were clean as healthy as possible, no other infections, no skin diseases, etc., etc. Before he could even go in, to meet the king. 
Now, I don't want to get too weird on this, because the neat thing is when you get saved, you have the opportunity to go meet the king right now. These things are sort of in parallel. But, as we're going after the king, meeting the king, he is cleaning us up. The neat thing is, we don't have to be totally clean to meet him. And the more time we spend with him, he's going to start asking you, okay, I want you to work on this beauty treatment. I want you to work on this, put on this perfume. You know these are metaphors. I want you to do this in your own life. And if we do that, the presence of him increases. It's costly. We have to slow down and do these things. Or else we stop at the level that we have with him. Let's go back up to verse 3. I was on verse 12. Then in the care, they did, she did all this in the care of the king's eunuch. I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm going to pronounce it Hegei. Hegai. Does anybody actually know how this Hebrew word was pronounced? We'll call it Hegei. It doesn't matter. He was the guardian of the women. And they will have their beauty treatment. So how does this work today? We walk closely with Holy Spirit, who is, and the model here is Hege. As you walk closely with Holy Spirit, you develop a relationship with Holy Spirit. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. What are some ways we can hear Holy Spirit's voice better? As you walk closely with Him, and it just starts out as simple as this. Holy Spirit, you live inside of me. You are my comforter. You are my teacher. I'm going to take you at your word. Start teaching me. There's not a whole lot of fancy formulas here. You just cry out, and he'll, he knows how to talk to you. You'll go, where did that thought come from? That was a pretty cool thought. If it's a pretty cool thought and you don't know where it came from, it came from a Holy Spirit that's inside of you. Okay? You're good, but sometimes you get thoughts that are even gooder. And so just say, thank you, Holy Spirit. And then, that, then he always gives you thoughts and ideas that you can never do on your own. But as soon as we get it, we try to go out and do it on our own. This is the way man is. So as soon as you get it, go, Holy Spirit, how am I supposed to do this beauty treatment? Sometimes it hurts. He's like, you've got to stop this behavior. It's not the old-time Pentecostal weirdness holiness movement where holiness looked like long sleeves, haircut with men. Believe me, if I could grow hair and I wasn't bald, I'd have it long like John Freeman over here. <laughs> it's not women wearing dresses. None of that. That's just... The holiness movement started out great. It was the Methodist church. But when you lose the power in the fire of the Holy Spirit, you replace it with rules and organization. And then eventually you become so dead, you become like the Methodist churches now. Although in all... Fairness, huge parts of them are splitting off and doing their own thing. Good good for them. They still have a standard. Because that Methodist church is no longer a church of Christianity. It's another religion. It's a humanistic religion. Humans decide what is best and wrong. You can call yourself a church, but you're not you're not Christian anymore. You may be going to heaven. But you're following a humanistic religion. We've talked about that a lot. And that's your goal, to please people, make people happy. And when Jesus Christ shows up, it's like, it's my way, baby. I'm going to be full of love. 
Life's going to be good, but I'm going to have flames of fire. When you go out the lobby, look to your left, and that's a man's interpretation of Revelation when he comes back. But that's a scary picture. And I want to be as close to him as I possibly can. <laughs> Amen? And you can. Esther 2.9 the young woman pleased him and won his affection, so he immediately provided her with a beauty treatment, a daily supply of food, and seven suitable female servants from the king's palace. Then he moved her and her servants to the best place in the women's quarters. This is so good. If you Listen, you know how you advance in Christianity? You don't have to know theology. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to Bible college. I mean, that's cool. You learn a lot. I've got an actual... Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. And so we go on. Is you just say yes. That's it. Repeatedly, regularly, even when it's costly. You say yes. And he starts bringing you beauty treatments. This is a metaphor to be in the king's presence. A daily supply of food. I love Ephesians 1.17. Paul says, I pray you grow in wisdom and revelation. Revelation is food. There's physical food, but it's talking about bigger than that. You want to hear more from God? You want to hear the secrets of God? You want to hear the ways of God? You want to be exactly where God wants you to be? You just say yes. One time a day, a hundred times a day. And you never think about an alternative. I mean, you can think about it, just don't do it. You can't sometimes can't keep the faults from coming in. Don't let it cross your mouth, though. Is that the truth? I mean, I, I don't think any of us that good keep all the thoughts out. That'd be awesome. But when those thoughts come, take them captive. Oh, I love this. Ephesians 2.13. Ephesians. Esther 2.13. Maybe I'm supposed to be turning over to Ephesians. Maybe there's something there that my brain is just not quite getting in sync with what the Holy Spirit wants. I'm trying, though. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes. Esther 2.13. After that, the young woman, Esther, would go to the king. Anything, well, this is all generic women. Anything she wanted to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace was given to her. What the routine was, historians tell us, it doesn't say it here, only one woman was going to be queen. I don't know, it doesn't tell us how many women was in this beauty contest. But there was a lot. I mean, they went all over the kingdom. So, say if there was a hundred, ninety-nine of them were going home. This was the process where they could go pick out whatever clothes and jewelry they wanted to present themselves to the king. If they weren't picked, they got to take it and go home with them. They could get a fortune of just gold jewelry alone. They didn't know if they're going to be picked. I mean, you got this arbitrary King Xerxes. Of course, God moved on his heart. I'm sure she was stunning. But even beside that, I'm sure they were all stunning. And God moved on his heart and gave her favor. She didn't know if she was going to be picked. Go to the end of verse 15. So that was the process. When Esther's turn came to go to the king, she asked only for what the king's eunuch Hegai, Hegai, the guardian of the women advised. It's costly. That doesn't tell us what he advised. 
But she went to the Holy Spirit, like we go to the Holy Spirit, and we go, Holy Spirit, what does Jesus want in my life? Not what I want to do. Consumerism in America, in Christian American, in American Christianity is just repulsive. Most people pick out churches based off their needs. Most people judge churches on what it did for them. And we want to go to a good church. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying go to a bad church. You don't get brownie points from God for that. But you know, when you follow the Holy Spirit, He doesn't, He has a church for you because there's a body within that church that you're supposed to connect with or for whatever reason. It may be the smallest church in town. We're probably pretty close to it. It may have the least programs in town, et cetera, et cetera. But if that's where Holy Spirit wants us to go, we go. If He wants you to go to the biggest church with 10,000 people and you want a small church, you go to the church with 10,000 people. Consumerism in America, when the renewal comes, will die. It's just the way it is. I mean, it's still going to go on, but His presence is going to be pulled from it. He's looking for followers not that follow Him and not just consuming of Him. And when you follow Him, He takes care of your needs. All the nine gifts are for us. The nine fruits are for us. But we follow Him first, not for His heart, because we're His bride and not His hand. You heard the phrase, gold diggers. Uh, men or women, it's mostly women that I hear, but I'm sure it goes both ways. Marry the opposite sex, men or women, just for their money. They're called gold diggers. They don't love them. They'll probably be faithful and do what they're supposed to do. Oh, wow. We don't want to be that, do we? As Christianities, we don't want to be that way. Where we're at here in this shopping center that the Lord's never let us leave is a prophetic act against the pathetic attempts of the enemy to make fun of us. And he's not going to win. You know what the shop that hasn't quite moved in yet, they put up the purple signs, you know what the name of it is? I just mentioned it. Gold digger. That's not an accident. I've met the owner, super nice guy. I don't have a problem with the guy. But that's a pathetic attempt to set up an opposite of those in here that are passionately going after Jesus Christ. And you, you could get similar stories with a vape. I mean, what church is surrounded by a vape shop, massage slash brothel? This is not a normal massage shop. I'm not going to go any further than that. You can just read it between the lines. And a gold digger. It's because we're doing something right. If that's the best you have, we're going to win this battle, man. <laughs> that's all I can say. See, it is a battle. I don't know how long I've been talking. Anybody look? Turn over to Revelation 21. The biggest battle... There's many battles in American Christianity. One of the biggest is purity. We are substituting uh, 
all kinds of sexual behaviors for intimacy with Jesus Christ. Why we for years have said where we're going to end up, the biggest place we're going to end up, the number one place we're going to end up is the bride of Christ and we're going to be intimate with Him. Don't get weird on me in a spiritual sense. We're going to be that close with Him. That's where this thing ends up. Revelation 21, 17. It's the last book of the Bible, near the end of the book. It says, Jesus Christ will come back when the Spirit who leads us and the bride say, come. The bride is going to be led by the Spirit to say, come. And I'm already saying it. I just think we have to build to a certain momentum. Almost daily, I'm like, Holy Spirit, I love Jesus. I want to be closer to Him. Why can't He come now and I see Him in the physical? What's great, but I'm not contented. When there's enough of a... This is my theory. When there's enough, my opinion, when there's enough of a momentum of Christians across the earth, it doesn't have to be Americans... They go, I love being in your presence, but I'm tired of being away from you in all dimensions. You all feel that? And when that cry comes forth, I think that's when he comes back. That's why he said, I don't know the day or the hour, because he doesn't know the maturity of Christians and their heart and their intimacy for him. That's cool. Now, I've got a long ways to go, but just one example. Last night I had a good time with the Lord in His presence. It got so strong, I, I backed off. I said, this is hurting more than it's helping. Because I wanted to be closer to Him, and I didn't know how to get there, and it didn't look like I was going to get there. I didn't back off like in sin, but I was like, okay, i got to distract my mind. Has any of y'all else ever done that? Or am I the only one? Two people. Well, cool. It's, it's, it's a poor imitation, but it's not much. Have you ever seen somebody when they first meet, you know, the love of their life? You usually do this when you're about 16 or 17 or something. Maybe early 20s, depending on what it is. That's all they can ever talk about. And that's cool. It's, it's a normal thing. I'm not saying it's bad. But then one of them has to go off on vacation for a week. You think they're going to die. Well, in all fairness, that's how I felt last night. I felt like I'm going to die here. Is that too much? It's just, that's where he's bringing us. So intimacy, spirit, soul, and body, and always with him physically there, I'm not talking about getting any weird deals, okay, is where this thing's going. So the devil has done a onslaught in the Western world. It's not the whole world. It's just the madness of the Western world. He knows what's happening. He's read the Bible. This is not any heavy revenue. You just read the Bible and you see it's happening. I'm not a genius for figuring this out. Or in my opinion. He just literally is going to imitate intimacy, but he can only do it on the physical level. With a pure with a bad backup on the soul. Because he doesn't have anything to offer on the spiritual level. And so what's happened is just this whole onslaught of sexual immorality to distract us 
That's called intimacy, but it's to distract us from true intimacy. And it so messes people up that they get deceived and then they get depraved and they can never, it's very hard for them to see Christianity. That's where we are. We're in a deceived culture. I taught recently in another church the three D's of where we're at. Uh, it starts with dumbness. I'm just through the point, aren't I? That's everything against God's law. And it leads to deception. Dumb, deceived. You, you never start out deceived. You start out deceived by doing so many dumb decisions, you actually think they're good decisions. And that's where we're at in America. We call evil good and good evil. Why? Because we've done so many dumb things. Dumb is not defined by Craig. Dumb is defined by the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Then you end up becoming depraved. That's the third D. But there is a group of people, and I, I am doing my best to stay close to the Holy Spirit and say yes, and don't do dumb stuff. Do godly stuff. And then you get light, and then you get freedom. And that's what's happening. It's so cool. Let me show you where we're going to end up. Revelation 21.2. Individually, but this, when I'm reading you, end of Revelation, it's the chapter before Revela- the end of Revelation, this event is going to physically happen. Okay? Y'all are quiet in here. Are y'all with me? Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're not what I would do. Uh, oh, by the way, 6 o'clock tonight, the prophetic forms here. I encourage you to come. I think I already did that, didn't I? It'll be fun. They're going to do the same song. And as I'm going through this, I got a great message on what revival is going to look like. But I think as I'm going through this, you're going to hear this lesson again. <laughs> I may end up teaching. But I've only got 20 minutes, so it'll be a quick version of it. But it was a great lesson, but I'll see. I still got six hours. It may change. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, I am not a theologian, and I don't want to belabor this point. I want to make a bigger point. Most people think of this as a physical building, and it may be. Okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't think it is. I think it's representative of the new temple, which is us. Okay? The new Jerusalem. They're talking about the temple that was destroyed in 70 A.D. We're the living stones. That's another metaphor that makes a temple. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But look at the next part here. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. That's why I think it's not a a building. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle. The tabernacle is us as living stones. Of God is among men. And He will dwell among them. And they shall be His people. And God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. It's starting now. This is not like all of a sudden there's no heavenly tabernacle and then bam, there is. He's building it now. It's a small, maybe it's small. He's building this thing now. We're living in the end times. Why? Because Jesus said, they asked him when the last days were coming. And he said, they already started. 
Not the last day, but the last days. He has been building this tabernacle of people that know their Lord and are in His presence. And they're not in the outer court. They're not in the holy place. They're in the holy of holies. He's doing it now. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Adorned. We already talked about that. Trimmed. Purity. Going through, not the rituals for the sake of rituals, but constantly going, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. How do you want me to look to you? Well, often happens here as a church, people come in and go, did you know so-and-so? It hadn't happened in a long time. But so-and-so, you know they're smoking. Don't you think you should speak to them? I said, no. So-and-so is doing this or doing that. Don't you think you should speak to them? I'm not talking about sin. Whatever. Just these outward manifestations. I said, no. I always tell them no. They say, why? I said, I'm teaching them how to hear the voice of Holy Spirit. And he may not want to work on that right now. If he wants to work on it, he'll speak to them. If I speak, teach them how to hear Holy Spirit and to say yes... He's going to work on what he wants to look at. That may not be bothering him right now. Because frankly, even now, after 50 years of walking with God, if he got me perfectly done inside and out, I would probably die. And if I didn't die, because there's still stuff to work on, if I didn't die, I probably wouldn't even recognize myself. Although I would like to have hair. What if I get hair when I get John, when I get to heaven? Do you think I'll get hair? I actually don't mind hair. I never have to. I never have to wash my hair. I don't. Somebody asked me. They, it's a long story. They gave. Me, they said, "What do you want for Christmas?" I said, "I want this certain kind of soap." Well, what about shampoo? And I said, "Do you think I need shampoo? I just have to spend more time washing my face." Revelation twenty one nine. So this is seven verses down. Then one of the seven angels talked with me, saying, "Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife." And I know I've gone a little while. Let me, let me do this real quick. Cause this is what's happening with you. Every time, go to verse 18 to 21. This is a cool passage. Just read it. Realize it's talking about you and it's starting now. You can get some great lessons out of this thing. The city, which we've talked about is the tabernacle, which is us, which is the bride. Okay, you can follow that. You can go back and read it and see if Craig's off his rocker. And if he has come back, and I will get off my rocker and apologize if I see it. Not just because you told me. But if you see it, you've got to get off. Verse 18, the city, turn around to somebody on your left and go, you're the city. Was pure gold. It was so pure, it says it here in verse 18, it was like clear glass. That's what he's doing right now. The renewals that are coming, the repentance that you hear about Asbury, that you hear about at least seminary, that you're going to hear about in Dalton, Georgia. He's going, I like Becky. I like Josh. I like Faith Lynn. And I'm making them like pure, clear gold glass. Because that's how I am. And we're going to walk together. Cool, cool. 21. Let's just, we'll stop here after this. We'll keep going. Verse 21, three verses down. 21, 21. It talks about these gates around the city. We don't have time to go into it, but I've studied this out and I think it's, maybe it's physical gates, but it's definitely spiritual metaphors. But it said the twelve gates that led into this city were twelve pearls. Each individual gate 
was of one pearl. He's making you into a pearl. So Amber, you can turn to to Dustin and go, he says you're a pearl, and I'm trying to see that. (laughs) I know he sees you as a pearl. I'm giving you a hard time, Dustin. Let's stand. So the presence of God is costly. But it's not costly in the old-fashioned holiness gone weird movements. It's costly because Jesus Christ paid for a pure, holy, can I even say white bride in this weird, woke justice culture? I'm not talking about race, I'm talking about purity. Somebody that had, I've got a little fiction book out there that talks about white warriors at the end of the age, and somebody said, you're not supposed, they were half, they were, you're not supposed to say white, I said, oh my gosh. <laughs> This has gone too far, man. (laughs) But it's because He paid for you and me on the cross, not just for salvation. His death paid for us. And He sees at the end that Craig, you, you fill your name in, it's a costly gold, clear glass that fully reflects through His entire presence. As you get more pure, you go, how come the presence is growing? Because more, you're closer to Him and more filtering through. That's cool. Let's pray. And then after we pray, I tell you what, Stevie, your sidekick's gone. Well, me, Stevie, and Dustin, we'll just pray over here. If you have any pains in your body... God paid for that, or any sickness. We'll pray for you just as one group. We won't break up in two like we normally do. If you need prayer for anything else, then uh, just come on up, and we'll stay up here as long as as, as needs to be. And uh, good stuff. It's costly, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. It is better than turning into a dark, black piece of something else. It never reflects the presence of God. Amen? Father, I thank You for this people. I pray Your hand upon them. I pray that they hear Your voice clearer this week than they ever have. I pray You give us all the self-control and the courage to say yes. And we just pray for the other people that's coming from other churches tonight into this place. We pray that we will be unified and in our love towards one another and our preference towards one another, we'll make a statement to the heavenlies that Christianity can come together. And it can flow as one. And it can be as one. Because we're all standing under the love of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Father. Amen.